everybody. Welcome to this episode of All the WrestleManias. I'm your co-host, Tim Hagman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. We got a good one for you today. We got a new one, something something from the archive, something we've never done before. We're going to talk about an Extreme Championship Wrestling, a.k.a. ECW show from way back in 1997. I'm, I'm kind of hyped about it. Are you hyped about it, Rich? I am, because just uh, ECW is a fascinating thing in professional wrestling. It's It's a weird... It's a weird little little thing that existed that just blew up and like became yeah. a, a pretty big threat for still really being in indie territory. Like it's it's weird. And it changed the changed the business for better or worse. Uh, we're still seeing some remnants of it today. When we can talk a little bit about that as we get into it. Um, the uh, well, first, let's see. Our most recent episode, hope you enjoyed it. We talked to The Reason, Jonathan Elliott from uh, Virginia Championship Wrestling. He had a match, uh, two-on-one match, him and uh, who was his partner, Logan Easton LaRoe versus Brandon Scott, the event here in Virginia a week or two back, and they um, they beat up on poor Brandon, a friend of the show. We enjoyed yeah. talking to Jonathan, though, even though he's kind of a dirt. Yeah, that didn't look fair, Mm-mm. to say the least, from the Not photographs I saw. So. Uh, what the hell? I don't know, man. They don't, they don't play fair. Those, uh, those heel tag teams. Um, and they have another event coming up in Alexandria, uh, first weekend in November. I'm actually second weekend in November. Excuse me. I'm actually going to make the trip up from, uh, down here in Norfolk and go, go check it out. And we hope to have some more VCW related guests, uh, some special surprises before that show. So stay tuned and, and keep an eye out for those. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Here's hoping. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so um, so ECW, the pay-per-view in question we want to talk about today is Barely Legal from 1997. It happened at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, it's basically just a little multi-purpose indoor sport thing. Um, tiny, tiny place. The attendance for this one is 1,170 which I think makes it the smallest show we've reviewed on the <laughs> yeah. on the podcast, right? And like when you when you watch this thing, you're like, "Holy crap!" They crammed a thousand people into that thing. Jesus, like, ooh, the, yeah, it it looks possible. it looks smelly. <laughs> and the, 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 when you watch, it looks so smelly and looks so miserable. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, I possibly would have like showed up to that and then walked out i i don't know if i could have if i could have like stood uh being in that environment i don't know it's it's jam-packed and that crowd is hype 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 they are chanting they're waving their signs they're yelling and cursing pretty much the whole damn time they're having a just a really uh they're having a brawl um yeah i think i'm with you i probably would have ducked down i would have just taken one look and like nope maybe i'll Watch it on TV. Yeah, especially when like you start noticing that there's uniformed police officers interspersed <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, oh, you, and also you, it's Philadelphia, so you know, <laughs> no offense to the city of brotherly love, but not a city known for uh, particularly uh, well-behaved sporting crowds. You know? Yeah, it's not. It's not just Philadelphia. This is in South Philly, so it's it's the dirty South. It's the rough rough area here. Um, where you need to go to Pat's and Geno's in the daytime because otherwise it's 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 scary at night. Um, yeah, this is this is a a very intense show. It is very violent. It is brilliant. I I don't I I can't I don't know what else to say about it. Like it's a the show surprised me. It really did. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really the first ECW I've sat down and watched. I don't, did you pay much attention to it when it was on, kind of the first time around? Uh, I caught a couple of the shows when it was on TNN and in mm-hmm. like around the turn of the millennia. Um, but that was that was about it, and I didn't really take it very seriously. I didn't watch very much of it. I just caught it when I could, because you know I was a a mark for WWE and. And, and that's, that was that, you know? So I was just like, oh, well, there's this other thing. I guess I'll watch it. And it was like, oh, <laughs> this is rough. But it's also kind of like a, like driving by a car wreck. You have to look. 
Yeah, you have to look a little bit. Yeah, I had sort of the same experience. I don't remember exactly which years I would have caught it, but I def, you know, enjoying wrestling like I do, you know, oh, it's another wrestling program on. Hey, I heard these guys are kind of crazy. I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, I never watched very much. It always seemed, you know, it's pretty uh, low budget, you know, kind of kind of gritty, kind of, oh, dare I say extreme. Um, so, but I'm, I was really glad to actually watch this, and I think this was a perfect show to start out with. And this one actually has a kind of interesting history. This thing almost didn't get on the air, and it barely got pay-per-view release. Uh, did you read anything about that and setting up for this? Uh, not too much. I mainly have just been reading about the history of ECW and Paul Heyman, because they're really the reason what drew us into this was we have both have been in been having man crushes on Paul Heyman, basically. <laughs> uh, the dude is is brilliant. He's brilliant at every turn. He has incredible longevity in this business from being a teenage ringside photographer to becoming a manager to working himself into working for Studio 54 and being a booker there. And then uh, finding his way into Jim Crocker Promotions and the AWA and being a manager of the hottest tag team of that time period, the Midnight Express, and then being the manager of the Samoan SWAT team, which became the Head Shrinkers when they jumped over to WWF. The dude just just can't be sunk, and then he gets he gets fired by by Bill Watts, and he jumps over, and he, Eddie Gilbert is booking at that time Eastern Championship Wrestling, uh, and. Uh, Eddie Gilbert gets in a fight with the with the owner of ECW, and Paul Heyman is suddenly the head booker and in charge of creative for ECW. And then after a little bit of time, he finds himself owning ECW. Like, and the whole concept of turning them extreme was his idea. It was his little baby. Uh, and I can see why. I mean, that crowd has bloodlust. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they've been doing the extreme stuff for like four years by the time Barely Legal happens. But uh, if the same folks have been coming out to those shows for four years, you obviously got to start putting people through tables pretty quickly. Otherwise, they're going to do it to you. Yeah, you got to constantly sort of up the ante and uh, and raise the violence quotient. Speaking of that, um, this thing, the, the reason this almost didn't get on the air was that a couple of the big cable and pay-per-view providers dropped it because there was an incident. This is April of 1997. I didn't mention that at the top, um, but there was an incident in November of 96. They call it the mass transit incident. That's a wrestler by the name of... Um, Oh, Eric, what was Eric's last name? Eric Coolis, um, he was in a match with New Jack, and uh, he was 17, I believe. He wasn't really supposed to be wrestling. He had lied to Paul Heyman about his age, and he asked New Jack to blade him um, because he was new and had and no experience, and New Jack did and severed two of his arteries, and dude almost bled out in the ring. Um, and so it kind of became you know, sort of a rallying point for, for folks who were opponents of ECW and a couple of those big cable providers dropped it and there was a big fan push. They eventually managed to convince, um, one or two networks, I think to pick it up for pay-per-view and it ended up doing somewhere around 60,000, 66,000 buys, which is minuscule obviously compared to a, uh, you know, a WWE show, but it's also pretty big. That's a lot of people for a tiny promotion in a corner of South Philly in an old shitty gym, you know? So and the the weird thing is is that ECW uh, was one of the last territories. So it was a member of the NWA for a couple years. What like fascinating? Like so, it was originally called Eastern Championship Wrestling. At one point, uh, they even were hosting an NWA champion world championship tournament in the in the early nineties. And then that's when they broke away from the NWA. Yeah, it, they have a fascinating history. So do you have any idea who the first world champion was in ECW? I don't know. Jimmy Superfly Snuka is their first <laughs> heavyweight champion. Oh, and wow. he won it in April 25th, 1992. And he hmm. defeated Salvatore Belomo for it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And, we've seen him before. Yeah. In a tournament. And then uh, he held it for one day, and then he dropped it to a guy named Johnny Hotbody. And then Snuka picked it back up a couple months later. 
And then Snuka dropped the title after a couple months to Don Morocco. Oh, wow. That's insane. Yeah. And then he loses it to the Sandman, who WWE doesn't recognize as this as as the champion at that point in their history of the belt. But then Don Morocco wins it back from him in uh, Radnor, Pennsylvania, which is actually kind of close to where my wife is from. And then uh, he loses the belt to good old El Matador Tito Santana. Oh, Tito. Right, so can you, you can see now why I'm like absolutely fascinated by the ECW history. Like these are names from WWF in the '80s that are are having like a renaissance, basically, in this little tiny territory operating out of South Philly. Um, and then Shane Douglas, Sabu comes along, and then Terry Funk has his first title run with them in 1993. And uh, and then in 1995, they become Extreme Championship Wrestling. And that's when Paul Heyman is really, really the dude in charge of everything there. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that 93 with, with Terry Funk, that's, that's way earlier than I would have guessed. Yeah. Uh, and he's actually one of the reasons we put the show on because, you know, he just passed away. He was an incredible talent, somebody we've always really enjoyed watching and just, just a a giant in the industry. Um, so we're, uh, happy to kind of watch some of his work and, and pay tribute to him in the, in the course of doing that. Um, going back to Paul Heyman for a minute, you know, I think his recent, um, run on, on SmackDown and the bloodline and all that stuff has been absolutely incredible. And it's, it's so fascinating just to watch him work. He's honestly, he's like head and shoulders above anybody else around him. And what makes him, I think what makes him really interesting to me is that there's a sense that he's like that, outside the ring as well right he has this kind of like like shady a little bit slimy a little bit of a huckster he reminds me almost of like a colonel tom parker like in real life as well as in the ring you know like somebody who's always just kind of like moving around the edges and cutting deals and finding a way for him to get himself into the action you know and he'll if it's good for his guys that's great but as long as it's good for paul Heyman, that's even better you know yeah he definitely has this this persona of being shrewd uh and and crafty but also incredible business sense like he knows where things are going before they go somehow and that seems to be in real life where how he this follows the follows the road somehow in the fog like he jumps from the nwa and wcw to doing ecw and then ecw gets swallowed into wwe and suddenly here he is in the top tier with with things and you know the thing is is that he had a relationship with vince mcmahon the entire time because he's smart and he knows what's going on but yet he also because he he did that early photography stuff with with WWF and the uh, uh, and then like sneaking himself in as a teenager to do things at, at Madison Square Garden. It's insane. This the stuff like <laughs> it's so very similar to Jim Cornette too at yeah, the same it really time. Is. Like because that's that's how Jim Cornette got involved. And then our 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 friend George Panthus down. You know that's what he how he got looped in was was filming ringside matches in Norfolk and then suddenly WWE coming to him like hey we want to buy that can we buy can we buy your film uh so it's it's an incredible history uh it's an amazing it's just an amazing story if you guys have time to read about about Paul Heyman do it don't rely on whatever uh, WWE bullshit clip that show that they're going to put together for him with the with the Hall of Fame induction because that's they're going to rewrite some history but it's going to be uh, that's another reason why we focused in on this because there's no doubt that Hall that Paul Heyman has to be going into the WWE Hall of Fame this year with WrestleMania 40 from Philadelphia and. You know, it got my wrestling conspiracy brain going that like Paul Heyman is going to do something shady to screw over Roman Reigns at that WrestleMania and in that title run. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that he's he's going to be in the uh, Hall of Fame class. Is coming. You ready to talk about this card? Uh, yeah. Let's do it. 
<laughs> Let's do it because it, it's got some great stuff. What a fun show. What a fun show. So, again, ECW Barely Legal, April 13th, 1997, from ECW Arena, Philadelphia, PA, City of Brotherly Love, and maybe some other things. Attendance is 1,170. The ring announcer here is uh, Bob Artes. Um, the commentators are Joey Styles, and Tommy Dreamer comes out for one of the matches. Um, so, you know, pretty pretty decent announcing, but none of the big... None of the big names that uh, that we've been familiar with, but um, there are nine matches on this card, including two dark matches that we don't see. I'll just give you those results real quick. Um, Louis Spicoli, um, aka Madonna's boyfriend, aka Rad Radford, and a bunch of dim- different gimmicks. He defeated Balls Mahoney in a. Uh, Singles match to start the show in about five minutes. And then there was a tag team match between Christopher Chetty, J.T. Smith, uh, and the full-blooded Italians, which was um, Little Guido and Tommy Rich in a tag team match. That was um, that was a win for Chris and J.T. And then we get down to the, to the actual match. And I think it's fitting, actually, that it starts out with the Dudley brothers, the Dudley boys, excuse me, who are... Um, folks that I think of as just sort of iconic uh, associated with ECW. There's a, there's a few yeah. of those folks, uh, and there's they're pretty much all on this card, but um, the Dudley boys for sure are there. Um, so, of course, that's Bubba Ray and Devon. Um, they have Joel Gertner and sign guy Dudley <laughs> yes. in their corner, uh, and they are facing off against the Eliminators, which is Cronus and Saturn, which who is obviously Perry Saturn. Cronus is George... Kayatso, who I wasn't familiar with, um, and it's a no, tag team match for the ECW World Tag Team Championship, and they uh, they get it going right out of the gate. Yeah, uh, so I think we should just warn the audience now at this point that there is a lot of profanity in the show, and it's going to automatically <laughs> trickle down into this recording because uh, right off the bat we're hit with a "fuck you, Devon" chat. Uh, which is incredible. It's thousand people chanting that it's quite powerful. Uh, you can also see that someone is openly smoking in the second row of (laughs) (laughs) this event. They give you an idea of, of what we're seeing. Uh, and the ring announcer is in a tuxedo, but no shirt. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of weird. And there's a weird highlight package of ECW and it introduces us to some of the most terrifying shit you've ever seen in professional wrestling, uh, happening. Um, and so we then kind of get weirdly dumped into this match of the Dudleys versus the eliminators. And this is right away. We see there's no rules. Yeah, it just it just starts. It's not like and here's the there's just like oh, yeah okay we're wrestling now actually we're fighting now so yeah so there's strap no, in there's no tagging there's no tags whatsoever <laughs> no. all four men are apparently legal in the ring at the whole time so if this is your first exposure to ECW you're like oh, what and like you you and if you know that Paul Heyman is running the thing you know that Paul Heyman is actually a traditionalist and we're like what why like why why are there no tags there's no it's just it's just beat the crap out of each other for several minutes and uh yeah and there's some impressive spots between the two but like it is it is pure chaos and they yeah. shouldn't call it tag team wrestling they should just call it duos it's duos these are duos it's, wrestling it's just, it's just four men wrestling two of them are on the same side of each other yeah i like that actually and then you could still you could then you could differentiate between trios wrestling and six man tag, right? Um, right. Which right now right now AEW just uses trios for that. But um but no, the the whole thing is like double teams and um jumping off of stuff. Um Bubba Ray apparently suffers a, a legit broken ankle in the course of this match. I didn't happen mm-hmm. to see it. Did you catch it? No, I did not. So but it doesn't surprise me that and I'm shocked no. that that's the only injury that came out of this match. <laughs> Honestly, um, yeah, like, the Eliminators hit their finishing move. Um, Saturn pins Bubba Ray, I believe, and they win the tag team championship. Oh, I know what I was gonna ask. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the what the heat on Devon is coming into this show. Um, I'm not sure why the crowd was so pissed at him. Uh, I don't know either, but I know that the Dudleys were mainly heels. 
the entire time over there. Um, and they, they, they mainly just come out and talk shit about Philadelphia. That's, that's all you got to do. It's, <laughs> is, is just the cheap heat stuff. But this crowd is so angry and, and liquored up in all in likelihood that that's, that's all it is. Cause I mean, there's an, an, an the entire audience is giving double birds through pretty much the entire match. Um, yeah. It's also if one you of read on the the Wikipedia page, they talk about the DVD release of this show afterwards, and I guess um, WWE censored the censored the language that was used in the promos, but they can't do anything about the language that's coming from the crowd, and so they you know they bleep all the the promos and stuff, but then you hear still hear the crowd going "fuck you, diva." <laughs> yeah, they only bleep one, and I think they just gave up because like I heard yeah. one beep, and then and then like there was one blurring of a middle finger, and then after that. It's like they're just like yeah, we can't fix this. This just yeah. Why whatever. Bother? Just put it up there. Uh, just put it out. Whatever. Uh, yeah, it's 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 edgy. Uh, that's for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe not a great match, but definitely a great way to start the show. Um, I didn't take a lot of notes, so if I skip no. over important promos and stuff, let me know. But otherwise, I'm going to just kind of keep going through the, the matches themselves. Yeah, I mean, um, this was a baptism by fire, honestly. <laughs> and this is also another one of those shows where there's just, like, people standing in the back. Yeah. They're, like, they're like the people that, that they can't be bothered by sitting. They have to stand the entire time. And so they just stand in the back, like, they're ready to go. They're ready to get out, you know, kind of thing. So, well, just in case shit jumps off, right? <laughs> right. In case somebody throws an actual Molotov cocktail or a lit cigarette into the ring, yeah, be able to duck out. So, well, I would say if you if you haven't experienced ECW and this is kind of you're like, oh, okay, let's watch this and see. You know, hang in past this match. It's it's like I said, it's not a great start, but there are a lot of rewards down the card here. So just yeah, you know, stick with it, and you'll be glad that you did. And this is also where I like cringed as well because there's only maybe two feet between the ring and the safety rail to the crowd. That's nothing, yeah. They there's there's no space for the people to work outside of the ring, and there's a lot of outside of the ring work, so it is very rough. It is so that's I'm surprised that that Bubba is the only one that got hurt <laughs> in this match, and and it was only a broken ankle. So yeah, I mean it could have been dozens more in the crowd. We just didn't hear about them. So. The next up on the card is uh, is two amazing uh, workers. It's Rob Van Dam and Lance Storm um, in a singles match. You know, no title on the line or anything. Uh, Lance Storm is one of those guys who's just he's been around for a long, long time. He seems to be an actually decent human being, at least going by his social media presence. But I've always sort of enjoyed watching him work. He's one of those guys who's maybe not the most exciting performer you'll ever see, but he's so like so, I'd say sort of clean and and uh, technical yeah. and proficient. Um, even when he was in some really shitty gimmicks, like the WWE uh, had him in the, was it Right to Center? Was that? No, I think he was in the uh, uh, Un-Americans or whatever. The oh, the Un-Americans. Yeah, you're right. You're stupid. right. Um, like, yeah, which we is kind of lame, he's, but yeah. he's still good. Yeah. So right before that match was a promo by Chris Candido. He comes out and he's all hot and he talks about how he was... He's been on on a bunch of WrestleManias, and that he's you know he was a key figure in WWF success or something like that, and that he started ECW and a bunch of gibberish, and the crowd's not having it. it I don't quite understand the point of this promo, so I don't want to go into details about it. But it was it was random, and it sounded like. A ranty, angry employee that is feels that they're more important than what they actually are. But yeah, well, so apparently he was scheduled to be Lance Storm's opponent for that match. Um, so well, maybe, maybe I guess that's, that's what he was, he was going on there. About. Okay, say so that he was—he's not ducking anybody. He had a legitimate bicep injury, I believe it was. Um, but I don't know if that—I mean, that's what—that's yeah. what he was saying. I don't know if that was actually the case or not. Um, so I guess that's why he's there. And there was also a Sandman highlight clip. Was this basically him coming out in a t-shirt and Zubaz pants with a kendo stick <laughs> and a beer can uh, repeatedly? So uh, we we can get into the Lance Storm versus RVD, which was a fantastic match. In my yeah, opinion. it was really good. Um, and you kind of 
you know, if you've seen uh, Rob Van Dam on AEW lately, you know, he's significantly older, obviously, he slowed down quite a bit, but he was really dynamic when he first came out. And he was, he was com- completely over. People, people loved him. Uh, they loved chanting along with him. He was just one of those, I don't know, he was, he was sort of unstoppable there for a few, few years. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- I, I, I took some weird notes in this one. So there's a, there's a kill him chant that happens <laughs> during this match. Uh, there's a guy in the front row that you can see now that clearly has a shirt that says who gives a fuck. <laughs> um, there's another sign that pops up during this match that says Bischoff takes it up the ass. Wow. Um, yeah. So this crap, <laughs> I was, I was very distracted by the crowd during this. But yeah, there's they are they these guys are moving at the speed of light. This, this is a super fast match, and the guys, and they work really well together. There's there's a lot of just yeah. This, this is partially why I didn't take any notes. It's just kind of like too hard, too yeah. fast to keep track of. Um, but there's some there's some good stuff. They break out the chairs at one point, exchange some chair shots. There's lots of flying, jumping kicks as a sort of a kind of standard for your Rob Van Dam match. Yeah. Um, what other weird notes did you take? Uh, well, Lance, Lance Storm was doing Hulk, Hulk Hogan style chair shots where they look really weak and they, it's very clear that they're, he's just like kind of patting him with the chair and the mm-hmm. crowd starts giving Lance shit for, for <laughs> doing said weak chair shots. Um, yeah, there's a point where Lance Storm goes over the top rope and, uh, misses Rob Van Dam and just straight up pancakes onto the concrete floor. Uh, where Joey Styles reminds us that there's no mats on the outside of the ring because they're not. I think he said. I think he might have said they're not pussies. Um, so yeah, Thanks, it's yeah, uh, yeah. And also, it was just like RVD brings in a chair into the ring, no problem, no no issues. But there are rope breaks. There are rope breaks for for uh, if you've reached the ropes while in submission. So uh, there is at least one rule. <laughs> that's always one of the weirdest things to me is like when what rules they choose to follow you know yeah and like or there'll be no rules but then the the bad guy will win by pulling the tights and then somebody has to point it out that they pulled the tights you know like well after all that just went before why the, what the fuck does that even matter right right so but there's rope breaks but you can you can easily just bring a chair into the ring and brain somebody yeah. with it so it's fine yeah no that's fine that's fine just you know Place you got to respect the rope breaks. Um, Van Dam uh, kicks a chair into uh, Lance Storm's face, does his standing moonsault, gets uh, gets the pin for the victory. That was a that's a barn burner. That's a, yeah. I would go watch that one again, actually. Yeah, and I think Lance Storm is only like twenty one. I think they say at this point, it's crazy. And RVD is only like twenty three, and these that's guys crazy. are putting on a fucking clinic. Lance Storm is 28 and RVD is 27 at the time of this match. He, I mean, I know he was really well trained. He came out of, um, he come out of OVW. Who, Lance? Yeah. Uh, Lance is out of the dungeon in Calgary, Alberta. Oh yeah, of course. Obviously. Yeah. Um, he must be a, he must have been like a prodigy though or something like to be 21 and working the way he does here. And you can tell that he doesn't want to do this type of wrestling. Yeah. Uh, also, he has a weird crew cut and a ponytail. That's really <laughs> off-putting, but it he's makes him been, look like a ten-year-old. He's been professional at the time of this show for seven years. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, he's Jeez. only fifty-four, I think. Now, anyway, so love that guy, Lance. Shout out to Lance and Rob. Um, all right, so this is. Um, well, no, I'm not going to say it's the best. This is one of my favorite matches on the card. Uh, it is a six man tag match um, between two Japanese teams. Uh, so on one side, you've got the great Sasuke, you've got Grand Hamada, and you've got Masato Yakushiji. And they are wrestling BWO Japan, which is the Blue World Order. Uh, obviously, a takeoff on the New World Order, but blue. Uh, and that includes Takamishinoku, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo. So, um, this match is fucking nuts. 
It's nuts. Yes, yes, it is. I I barely took any notes from it because I couldn't stop. I was excited because streamers came out. They threw streamers. That was you know that was my favorite thing from going to the <laughs> Ring of Honor shows. It was the fucking streamers and um and then seeing Gran Hamada work and I was just absolutely locked in on him through this entire match. He's like he is a short little firecracker of a man that just is laying in like some of the stiffest shots you ever see. No, he is a tough, tough looking dude. He was born in 1950 and this is 97. So he was 47 here. Uh, he finally, he didn't retire until 2018. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can tell that the way he moves, he is impeccably trained and mm-hmm. in perfect fitness. And so I'm not surprised that he was able to work that long just because it's very clear that he is working smart, he's working safe, and he is working hard. Like he is just bringing it through this entire match. And uh, I, I was, I was hooked on him immediately. And I, so I had to start digging about him just because. And it looked like, so he actually wa- held the inaugural WWF Intercontinental Tag Team Championship which is a very obscure uh, (laughs) tag championship. And the WWF got rid of it seven months later uh, when their partnership with the UWF Japan uh, ended. So it was like a cross-promotional belt. Um, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, so he was was partnered with uh, Pedro Agallo. Um, So that guy uh, was was a big-time luchador uh, Mm. out of AAA. Uh, mostly and uh yeah and if you look at his credits he's got massive amounts of things so like in 2003 he was ranked the 38th best wrestler by pro wrestling illustrated out of the out of their top 500 um he he worked with the uwa the wwa the wwc the wwf the triple a uh yeah so he's uh he was a big time player as well so I, I I went down the rabbit hole with that guy for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fast, it's fascinating. So he, uh, you know, he apparently was one of the first Japanese guys to pick up sort of the lucha libre thing and kind of make it a make it a big deal. And he wrestled all over Mexico. He had a lot of big big time matches down there. He has two daughters actually who wrestle now, um, so that's kind of cool. Um, anyway, this match is, did I mention this match is not this? Cause you, uh, texted me, you're like, there's the greatest six man tag match I've ever seen on right now. And I'm like, Oh shit. So then I got, I was yeah. super excited to, uh, to queue it up and, uh, it definitely delivers. I don't, again, I don't really even know what, where to start in terms of individual moves or moments or anything. I think you just got to kind of watch it, but it's a, it's an A plus moment on an otherwise, um, pretty stacked card. Yeah, you, it's it, you don't expect this coming either. Like you're just like, wait, how did how did they get these guys from Japan to come here? And then how did they how did they get like six of the best guys out of Japan to come? Uh, and like we've seen Taka Michinoku, we've talked about him on this show before because he was in the WWF for a while and then he left and he started his own own thing over in Japan and. Now we see him again, and he's come back, and he's a fucking boss. <laughs> Just that everybody in this match delivers. There's a guy dressed in all black that looks like a ninja that is awesome. Uh, people are going everywhere. People are flying everywhere. There's a guy named Terry Boy, and he took that name because he loves Terry Funk so much. Like, it's just... It, this match, I I don't know how else to describe it except for like it is a beautiful ballet of violence. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, Takamishinoku had a moment in WWF for sure. Um, apparently, Dick Togo is still wrestling. He's in the Bullet Club in uh, New Japan these days. He's had like two dozen different gimmicks over the years. Um, his his Wikipedia page is also kind of fascinating. He debuted in 1991, so he's only been in the business like six years here at this point. I'm just going to read some of his ring names because I, I get a kick out of this stuff. Cancun, Dick Moto, Dick Sato, Dick Togo, Duke Togo, Flash Dick. That's a good one. <laughs> Francesca Togo, Francis Togo, Genfatsu, Genfatsu Sakagake, K 
Kentaro Inferno, Ninja Warrior, uh, P Togo, Prince Togo, Revolucion, Ray Cubano, Roshi Togo, Sato, The Sutter, El Tigre de, Tio- de Tokyo, <laughs> and just plain old Togo. So he is. Those are some great names. Flash Dick. For some reason, <laughs> I'm thinking like that's like the next Flash Gordon movie or something. Like, Flash. <sighs> great, great, great match. So, Grand Sasuke, Grand, uh, Great S- Sasuke, excuse me, Grand Hamada and Masato Yakashiji win that particular match. Um, and we move on. Yeah, it's also fun, just fun to see uh, cross promotional factions. Like, that's something that people think of is more nowadays with like, with like the Bullet Club, as you mentioned, and such. But here we are with, uh, with the Blue World Order, and they've got guys all over the place working. And so after that match, you notice that the arena is getting smoky AF. And you, <laughs> I really can't tell if it's because the fans are smoking or if they've turned on smoke machines. But it is very, very smoky in the arena. And I think they're introducing Shane Douglas at this point. I'm guessing they set some trash cans on fire. It's very possible. Yeah, so this is Shane Douglas who is holding the ECW World Television Championship. He is accompanied by Francine, and he has gone up against Pitbull number two. That's a guy by the name of Anthony Durante. Um, Pitbull number one, Gary Wolf, is also there in the crowd. Um, Hurt in a neck brace. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they are, uh, yeah, they're having a singles match for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. This is the longest match on the card, by the way, 20 minutes and 43 seconds. This match goes on forever. And yeah. uh, there's a uh, uh, Joey Joey Styles uh, says, look at that shameless hussy about Francine. Um, yeah. I mean, she's she's Philly hot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's not going to be a diva over in WWE, but I mean, it's not like she's ugly, but she's a She's a Philly eight, which is like a New York two. Yeah. Yeah. And Shane Douglas gives a great promo at the start of this match too. Um, he says, uh, you don't have to like me and I don't give a shit if you do. So like they just totally didn't bleep that out, but then they, uh, they did bleep out when he says bitch, Hmm. he calls someone a bitch and they bleep that out, but they totally miss him saying the F word, uh, saying shit and, uh, several other, other uh bad words but they just let that stuff go yeah there's um there's a bunch of of nonsense in this match um he shane douglas comes in with the riot squad who are a bunch of like sort of masked helmeted you know (laughs) cop types and so they they get involved um at one point there's um oh yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah one of them one of them um pretends to be Rick Rude, and we're going to have this big reveal. It's actually Rick Rude, um, but it actually turns out to be Brian Lee, who you may or may not remember as the fake Undertaker. Yeah. Um, and then the real Rick Rude um, shows up and... Um, yeah. Yeah. And knocks out um, knocks out Shane Douglas, and then fake Undertaker Brian Lee chokeslams yeah. uh, Shane. Yeah, um, again, I'm, I'm more distracted by the crowd in this match one pitbull two he looks like he should be a shooter but he just isn't he's a mess he's terrible get him out of there uh the crowd it's so crammed in there that if a fire went off everybody's gonna die that's that's just that's just the truth uh there's a a wonderful you've got herpes chant about francine (laughs) Uh, then there's let's go pit bull fuck him up let's go pit bull fuck him up fuck him up Uh, and then uh, we have a we want blood we want blood uh, chant as well during this match so uh, I don't think the crowd really cares about who is going to win or lose just as long as someone loses really horribly yeah (laughs) yeah and I they uh, I don't know that I almost feel like they're a little just preoccupied during this match there's not it's a it's okay it's a, like you said it's a bit of a yeah. mess there's not a great matchup between the two main guys um francine slips uh, shane the the brass knuckles at one point um he hits pitbull with a table 
There's uh, oh yeah, he gets him with the ring bell. There's yeah, there's the finish of, of this match is terrible. Chris yeah. Candido comes out and tries to uh, intervene and gets gets tossed. Um, it's it's not yeah. great. I'm no, ready to so, move on. Yeah, so like he takes a table. So Pitbull gets hit in the head with a table, and he kicks out from the pin. He then gets hit with a chair, kicks out from the pin. Gets hit with the ring bell, kicks out, kicks out from the pin as well. And then uh, Pitbull's pretending to like Hulk out, and then uh, he gets hit with a a belly to belly suplex, and that is what ends this match. Not solid yeah. steel to the head. So no. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little nonsensical. But fortunately, we get to one of the main event matches next. Um, maybe I would yeah. say one of, one of my favorites. I mean, yeah. Again, not, not picking a favorite just yet. Yeah, there was an in- incredibly intense and hilarious promo with Taz and his manager, Bill Alfonso, at the beginning of this match. And, like, Bill Alfonso... Uh, I remember him as a referee, but like, I don't, but him, he's like Taz's manager and he's got this incredibly like high pitch, nasally New York accent, uh, like, like voice that is just, it's so grating and it's so, so miserable to listen to. It's, it's wonderful. (laughs) It's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so he's been in the business since 1979. He he refereed all kinds of matches. It says uh, he refereed his first match in Texas at the age of 21. He refereed a chain match between the Sheik and Terry Funk. That's the original Sheik. Um, he was in Florida Championship Wrestling. He was he was all over the place. So he was um, he was at the first Starcade. Again, it's another like far scum thing. This is a, it. Really is interesting because again, you think of ECW as this kind of uh, one-off sort of low-down indie promotion, but you have to realize that there's guys here who have been, you know, all over the business for 20 years, and in, in some cases, yeah. Um, and so they're not just coming out of nowhere. They've they've got like legit cred, and they they know what you know what's what's going to work. I think, and I think that was part of the secret. Again, under Paul Heyman's just you know machiavellian <laughs> uh leadership you know putting all this knowledge and all this um just experience and just directing it in the in the right places you just mentioned the original sheik and sabu is the sheik's nephew yeah so he's he he's got cred he's got trained he knows and he knows the edgy stuff you know which it's also hilarious is because they bill Sabu from Bombay, India, and he's actually from Staten Island, New York. Um, and uh, Taz is from Brooklyn. So it's really this two guys that are like across the river from each other in New York fighting each other. But, you yeah. know, Sabu is from Bombay, India. Uh, you got to watch out for him. You know, he's sneaky. Um, and uh, just looking at, at, uh, at Sabu's thing, it, he, at one point was billed as Terry Snuka. So I got to imagine that at some point they tried to pass him off as, as Jimmy Snuka's son or something like that. Probably nephew, cousin, (laughs) whatever. I just learned like maybe a year or two ago that Taz isn't black. I, I just always thought he was (laughs) at least, at least half black. Um, no. He's just an Italian dude from wherever the fuck. Yeah, because I mean, you look at Hook, and you don't come out that white. Yeah, well, yeah, that was that was what tipped me off. Yeah. Anyway, that's a thing I learned. Well, I mean, I didn't realize that Hook was his kid for a while, and I was like, wait, they don't (laughs) (laughs) wait, (laughs) slow up. So. So Taz was Taz was great. Taz was incredible and he but he got injured so quickly after he kind of made it big and then really had to stop like just as quickly and and so i feel bad in a way that you know he never really got i mean he's doing great like don't worry about Taz, but like i think he could have had some really stellar matches over the years and maybe it's best that he didn't he's still in good enough shape to walk around and do a lot Mm -hmm. of really cool commentary but um he was he was a just a lean mean fighting machine and he if you haven't seen early Taz like this is a this is a fantastic place to see him yeah. in this match against Sabu it's uh get again just a singles match no title on the line just 
two dudes just beating the holy fuck out of each other. I think I texted you during this one. I'm like, I don't think these guys are working. I think they're legitimately trying to kill each other because yeah, this is a tough one. It always sticks in my head, uh, that thing that Jim Cornette talked about, how like WWE's ring is harder and the ropes are rougher and that it shortens wrestlers' careers. And I can't help but wonder if that, like, with Taz's love of doing all these suplexes and throws and stuff, if that, like, just, like, when he made the jump over to WWF, that just, like, shortened his his shelf life. Yeah. Yeah. Seems quite possible, at least, right? Yeah. I don't know. Because, like, watching this match, man, both of these guys, again, just like the six-man tag, these guys are going at the speed of light they they're not stopping they are just one one move after another one into another there's no laying on the mat resting there's no rest holds there's no there's no nothing happening like that it is move into move in the move in the move nothing but chain sequences of things is going bonkers <laughs> like you yeah. start to sweat watching this match yeah, no, it's incredible. The um the forearms that they exchange, you know, I I'm usually not a fan of the the forearms in place of actual punches, but these look like actually legit forearms intended to break somebody's face. Uh, Sabu does start bleeding from the nose at one point. Um, There's no doubt that Taz broke Sabu's nose very yeah. early in this match immediately. Just like first shot, bam. <laughs> and then there's his blood, blood gushing out of Sabu's nose. So Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's also more um more suplexes per minute uh in this yeah. match than maybe any other match you're gonna see <laughs> yeah um, maybe if you go watch brock lesnar versus kurt angle at some point but yeah there's so many suplexes and so many weird weird configuration of suplexes that are, that are happening but also at the same time, there's hardcore stuff being thrown in too. Sabu throws a chair at Taz and just nails him right in the face with it. And yeah. then they end up fighting in the crowd. And you can hear Bill Alfonso screaming at Taz that Sabu is, he's still alive. He's still alive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah. they're very creative. They really... Um... You know, again, they work for 17, 18 minutes, something like that. And you, I, I felt like I didn't know what was coming next. You know, they just really, they just keep pouring it on and pouring it on. You're like, Jesus yeah. Christ, how these guys are going to die before we're done here. Um, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And then they hug at the end of the match and the yeah. crowd boos them. So good. Like Taz, this is like, you took me to the, to the edge of my limit. I appreciate it. And anytime you want another match, you got it. And then they hug and crowd boos and then RVD charges down and takes Taz out. And then uh, Sabu lands the Arabian face buster on Taz, whatever the hell that is. And then uh, big drama, Bill Alfonso turns on Taz and reveals an RVD and Sabu shirt on underneath. Yeah, and he joins in the joins in the melee there. Um, what a dirt. That's that's got to hurt your feelings. Yeah, again, holding holding off on superlatives here until we till we get through this. Um, we do go right into the. Are there any pre, uh, promos in between here? No, this they introduce uh, Tommy Dreamer coming down as a special color commentator for the next match se- sequence, and he adds absolutely nothing. He talks maybe three times. Yeah. Um, in fact, he tells them not to talk to me. <laughs> Great color commentary by by uh, Tommy Dreamer. Um, That's pretty funny. Yeah, and he comes out with with a woman. Was it was it Tatiana? Was that her name? I can't remember her name now, and I didn't write it down. It was Beulah McGillicuddy. Her real name, Trisha Lachlan. She is Tommy Dreamer's real-life wife. Um, so she's like his arm candy, and the crowd starts chanting, show your tits at her. Oh, very classy. Yeah. So classy, Philadelphia. Yeah. But this is a three-way match, three-way dance, excuse me, to determine the number one contender for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. So you've got Terry Funk versus the Sandman, 
and Stevie Richards, and Richards has the Blue Meanie, Hollywood Nova, Thomas Radman, and 7-Eleven in his corner. So there's a lot going on there. Um, and then the winner of this one will go right into the the next match uh, against Raven for that title. So they, um, this is this is our Terry Funk moment. We've been waiting for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, he he delivers as he always does. Yeah. Um, so Terry is how old is Terry here? Let's look. He is an elder gentleman at this point. He for is sure. for sure. He was born in forty four, so he would be fifty three. Yeah. Or thereabouts, maybe fifty two. Yeah. Um, yeah, too too old to be doing this stuff, but for sure. <laughs> but still amazing at it. Yeah, um, and Sandman again. He just rolls down to the ring, smoking a cigarette in Zubaz pants and a t-shirt and a kendo stick, and then he chugs a Budweiser and then he smashes the Budweiser can on his forehead and begins bleeding. I don't get, I don't get him at all. <laughs> I don't uh, either. He's not for me. Yeah, that cues the crowd to start chanting, fuck him up, Sandman, fuck him up. <laughs> I mean, he definitely seems like he's over. The crowd is is here for it. Um, but I don't know. He, I mean, he just, he doesn't really... He is a uh, god-awful worker. Yeah, I was going to say, he doesn't appear to have any training as far as I can tell. <laughs> he is terrible in this match. So, like, yeah. he gets he gets slammed into a ladder at one point. And flops around like a fish, kicks out of the pen, and then just stands up like he's fine. To me, this would have been better to have a either a tournament or something, just end up with a with a two way match, or just give it to fucking Terry Funk and let the man go beat on Raven. Like, yeah, he's, he's earned it, right? Like, like he's just fine. He's just fine. You know, <laughs> Sandman just pops right back up. You know, and I think that's that's uh, now I can't help but thinking that like. So Stone Cold always talked about how he hated uh, any time that like an opponent jumps up after a near fall before he does. Yeah. And it's like, I just beat you up and I just tried to beat you. Why are you now getting up before me? And now I can't help but to think that he was just like specifically talking about the Sandman because he does it multiple times in this match. Yeah, they they get all the usual uh, accoutrement in here. There's a garbage can. There's a steel chair. There's a lot of uh, work outside the ring, of course. Um, they powerbomb Stevie Richards, and both Funk and Sandman pin him um, to eliminate him, so that leaves just Sandman and, and Mr. Funk. Which is the way you should do a three-way match. Elimination. There needs to be elimination, because you can only watch three people go at it for so long. Yeah, And uh, yeah, Terry Funk lands a moonsault off a ladder. <laughs> he does a 53-year-old Terry Funk who wasn't already very nimble in his in mm-hmm. his spry years, does a moonsault off of a ladder onto Stephen Richards. Wow. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Yeah, there's uh, barbed wire comes out. And there's there's blood everywhere. Stevie Richards comes back and uh, and super kicks Sandman, uh, which which lets Funk get the get the win there. Um, yeah, I agree. I like the elimination better than the, just whoever gets pinned first, you know, whoever gets the first pin wins because that's, that's silly, right? Like that's, yeah. it lets a person who, if you're in a title match, it lets a person who doesn't even have a belt win by pinning someone else who doesn't have a belt. And if that were my belt and I lost it that way, I'd be really pissed. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that, but like this match is just a mess in my opinion. I don't think it, yeah. it really did much and i think partially because terry funk just starts bleeding like he's being butchered like there's just so much blood to the point where like i feel like stevie richards and the sandman didn't know what to do (laughs) when he started bleeding that much uh because holy shit there's a lot of blood (laughs) like oh my god i've never i like i thought that the magnum ta and uh uh, what's his name in the cage? Yeah, um, was was brutal and bloody, but no, no, this this takes that. Jesus, this is just nasty. And like Terry Funk has this massive gash across his kidney area that's about eighteen inches long, that is just open and, uh, uh no, stop, yeah. please just stop this match. 
I, yeah, I have to say I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy this, and I didn't particularly enjoy the match that came after it either because no. it's, he just keeps <laughs> he just keeps fucking bleeding on into the next match. Or should we roll into the next match while we're here? Yeah, yeah, because I mean it, it's it's a segue. It's a yeah. it, it's as they would say in classical music, it's attacka. It rolls right into the next movement. It doesn't stop. As long as we're all covered in blood, you might as well keep going. So right, yeah. So Terry Funk has set himself up as the number one contender for that belt that Raven has. So Raven comes out. They get to it. Um, the bleeding just continues. <laughs> um, they, I don't know. They they go at it. It's um, this is this is a much shorter match. This is like uh, a third the length of the previous match. Um, some of uh, Raven's like whatever you call them hangers Fuck, on. I think they're called. posse. Yeah. Um, come out to help, and that, that makes Tommy Dreamer get up from the announce table where he's been not commentating to uh, to come over and help out Terry Funk. Um, Terry ends up getting the getting the win um, with a DDT from uh, from Tommy Dreamer, uh, and he is the ECW World Heavyweight Champion. He looks really happy, but he also looks really really bloody and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This is the point where. Uh... Tommy Dreamer says, I have to watch this. Don't talk to me on, <laughs> on the color commentary. And he already wasn't talking much. Uh, so that's the end of him. Uh, and then uh, Raven actually attacks the ringside doctor while he's trying to attend to Terry Funk. And then uh, Big Dick Dudley shows up out of nowhere. This is apparently his comeback, and he attacks Tommy Dreamer. Uh, but then... Uh, Dreamer throws him off the announcing platform, which is like set up in a corner, probably about 12 feet off the ground. And for some reason, there were three tables stacked on top of mm. each other right next to it. And Dudley conveniently goes through all three of them on his way to the floor. Uh, and then the, the fake finish even fakes out the, the timekeeper who rings the bell uh, early in this match. And then, then the real finish happens, and Terry Funk gets the win and bolts out of there with the belt covered in blood. I hope he went directly to the emergency room to get some staples and stitches and antibiotics and probably a few other, a few other things. Mm, yeah, maybe he went to like like to Jefferson Memorial and got like a, a frozen paper towel and a baggie. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Well, that um, yeah, that pretty much does it. Uh, that's yeah. the nine matches on uh, ECW is barely legal. Um, any closing thoughts before we get to our favorites and uh, oh shit moments? This is a hell of a way to take yourself national, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow! Welcome, welcome, welcome ECW to to the dance here. Because I mean, this is right in the Monday Night Wars, and then suddenly there's a dark horse. For the people that like, oh, WWF and WW, WCW are too soft. I don't, I don't want to watch that. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. How about this? It's like, uh, would you like Coke, Pepsi, or broken glass? Yeah. Is is a uh, ultimate? Is is UFC is around by this point too? So like, yeah. People that want to see real violence can, can kind of watch that, but that's kind of tame. Uh, you can watch this, and it's uh. Still professional wrestling, but then it's real violence. Lots of table breaking. Lots of missed spots. Uh, there's some sloppiness that happens throughout the show that like, you're just kind of like... You actually start feeling bad for Paul Heyman because you know that he's in charge and he's taking this big risk to push them out on on pay-per-view and the satellite. And, and then you see things where like the table just slips away so it's not quite as dramatic or... You know, it's getting warm in there, and so the ropes, people are slipping off the ropes because they're sweaty, and they're, you know, and so you, you kind of just go, oh, it's too bad this isn't quite quite missing the punch that this could have made if all of these spots went perfectly. Yeah, and like we said at the top, you know, so they made enough noise that the WWF, WWE, eventually started paying attention, right? And then, you know, when the... When the iron was hot, when the the opening was there, they they bought up ECW and incorporated it and brought folks like Taz and Paul Heyman into the fold, um, and so it's uh, and and with it again with it came the the hardcore stuff that yeah you know, it's it's not for us, um, but it 
it hung around for quite a long time in the mainstream WWE shows. Um, and with it, I think came some of the sloppiness that you've noticed, you know, and some of that, some of that ethic of like, well, you don't have to be fully and completely trained to do this. You know, you can, uh, like, I don't think the Sandman ever came over and worked for the WWF, but, um, there were some, maybe some folks in the business who, uh, Oh, the fact that they kind of could slip in to the ECW's influence. You know, guys like guys like Rob Van Dam and Lance Storm, um, the Japanese wrestlers in that six man, those guys were, were gonna be fine, you know, regardless. Like but uh some of these other guys probably wouldn't have had much of a an opening. Pitbull number two, um I don't I don't see him mm. uh <laughs> being brought to the performance center anytime soon. So you wanna talk best match? Well, I mean that six-man tag. I'm still breathless from it. Yeah, the, yeah. The the Michinoku wrestling guys coming over and putting on a fucking clinic. That's I think that's it. And I can't help but to think that like the young bucks watched that match and were like, we should do that. Yeah. And then they try their best to do the stuff that they did in that match, and it just falls flat for them. You know, this is for some reason these guys, man, they are spot on through that entire match, and it's just—it's a work of art. Yeah, I like that one a lot, and I would probably—it's—it's it's definitely my favorite sort of of the more classical technical matches um, for like sort of ECW feel. I think I have to go with the Taz and Sabu match, um, yeah. just because of the the level of violence and the 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 realness of it, um, and it's. It's more in, um, I want to say, more in keeping with the, you know, the kind of the brand of ECW. Um, so the the uh, the six man tag sort of felt like an anomaly almost on this card. But like, if you ask me, well, if you ask me to sum up this this promotion, um, I would say it's that three way dance where everybody's Terry Funk's bleeding and um, and two of the people kind of suck. Um, but the in terms of really good matches it's for me yeah. it's Taz and Sabu so did you have a least favorite uh least favorite is probably the it's pro it's really close between the three-way dance and the Shane Douglas versus Pitbull 2 but probably Shane Douglas versus Pitbull 2 is going to take it just cuz Pitbull 2 just he looks like a glorified jobber through this match. It's yeah. not fully trained. Yeah, he sucks. Those would be my bottom as well. Uh, I think the Shane Douglas and Pitbull is uh, a little bit worse because it's longer. <laughs> yeah. It's longer by about a minute and a half, which is definitely a minute more, way more than uh, than it should have been. Yeah, and it didn't feature Terry Funk doing a helicopter with a ladder around his neck. <laughs> what a beautiful maniac that guy was. Oh, I my miss God, him for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, Fortunately, his uh, his work will live forever, and uh, we'll always get to enjoy it. And then, well, it seems a little silly to ask about an oh shit moment, but did you pick out one <laughs> from this card? So, I mean, there's just a general amount of blood that's in the three-way dance. But I think my oh shit moment was the first time uh, Sabu sets up the chair and bounces off the ropes and jumps off of the chair and springs over the top rope to land on the Taz. Like, how does he get that much air without a rope? Like, he just has an incredible vertical jump by himself. Like, it's Macho Man-esque. Early 80s Macho Man. Yeah, that dude is uh, that dude is athletic for sure. Mine was probably um, those forearms where it's very clear that Taz breaks Sabu's nose. Um, mm. That that definitely got my attention. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm all in on this match now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, overall, are we uh, are we rating this one? It's not a WrestleMania. Well, it's not so on WrestleMania, you know, but, you know, I give it a rating of You've Got Herpes. That's my rating <laughs> of this one. <laughs> and I give it a rating of Show Us Your Tits. Well, we do like to just take a moment to pay tribute to the men and women we've seen on the show that we were no longer with us or in memoriam section for the ECW barely legal pay-per-view from 1997 include Louis Spicoli, who was in a dark match, Cronus of the Eliminators, a.k.a. George Colazio, Chris Candido, Pitbull number 2, a.k.a. Anthony Durante, of course, the inimitable Terry Funk, and Ravishing Rick Rude. 
All right. Well, that's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed listening along. We are at alltherestlemanias.com. You can always drop us an email at alltherestlemanias at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, on X at WrestleMania Pod. You can find us on Instagram. We've even got a uh, threads on the Instagram these days. If you'd like to support the show, which we super very much appreciate, you can go to ko-fi.com slash alltherestlemanias. Drop us the cost of a cup of coffee. It helps us, um, you know, with, with technology and the various subscription services and uh, our, you know, our wrestling t-shirt wardrobe. We need to keep those up, of course. But we really do appreciate those of you who, who take a moment to uh, to support the show in that way. Anything else uh, for today, Rich? All this thing is missing is like Philly snowballs, you know, throwing D batteries at the wrestlers or something, <laughs> you know. Uh, man, man. What what a what an insane show this was to watch. That was a lot of fun. What an unfortunate thing to happen on D Battery Night. <laughs> Alrighty, well, we're gonna sign off for today. I'm your co-host Tim. And I'm Rich. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.